following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I am Ray Greenlee. I want to talk today about a very painful and difficult subject, but one that if we understand will bring great comfort to our hearts. The fight was raging. It had been raging all afternoon and then bleeding into the evening. The wife wanted the husband to do something that he felt he should not do. But she was angry. She was violent. She was throwing plates and cups and saucers and cussing and swearing. She was raging. And finally, when there was absolutely no resolution, this man finally said to his wife, I'm going to go to bed. I am tired. I have to be up early tomorrow morning for work. We can continue this discussion tomorrow. So he went up to bed, climbed under the covers, and was soon almost asleep. The door to the bedroom burst open. His wife came rushing in. And she began to scream and say, If you do not get up and finish this fight with me now, our marriage is over. And the man said, I'm sorry, I'm tired. Let's finish this conversation tomorrow. With that, the wife slammed the door shut and went to sleep in the spare bedroom. The fight was on. In another case, the husband wants to do something. The wife says that's not a wise choice, that's a foolish choice, and we cannot afford to do that. And he begins to rage. Finally throws his wedding ring at his wife and says, Our marriage is over. I am done with you. I'm going to do what I want to do, no matter what you say. Hurt and angry, she throws her wedding ring at him and says, I'm done with you. In another case, the husband and wife cannot agree. The husband wants to do what he wants to do, even though he has a prior agreement. And so she begins to scream and curse him. And the fight is on. Then some couples just slide into being roommates. Each goes his own way. It's very clear that 
There is no unity of thought, no unity of action. They are two separate people living in the same house, and this condition can go on for years. Sometimes they even divide the house down the middle. You stay on that side, I stay on this side. We're just here as business partners. We don't want to lose financially. The wife says, I can't afford to leave him because there's not enough money. Of course, that's not true because they have to split everything 50-50 unless she's so foolish that she signs off and gives him the house and then she leaves without the house. The War of the Roses. Bitterness, anger, cursing, raging. This goes on in so many houses and so many quote-unquote homes in America. The same happens at work, where someone is unwilling to submit and must rise up and prove their superiority to others in the workplace until they finally get blown out. And the boss says, I have to have harmony in the office, and you are bringing disharmony. Even though you're very valuable to me, and even though you are very productive, I cannot afford to have this disharmony in our office. We are a team, and it's obvious that you are not playing as a team member. You want your superiority to be recognized. You're out of here. Rage, anger, bitterness. What is it that brings all of these wars and these fights and these bitter times that, frankly, all of us have walked through at some time in our lives? If you tell me you have never been in a fight, I will tell you you are either dead or lying. All of us have been engaged in some kind of fight with somebody. We may have been the passive aggressor. Usually the passive one wins the war. Now we learn social skills, social rituals to deal with these very difficult kinds of situations. One of the simple rituals that I learned early on was to say to my spouse, when you Speak to me in that way. This is how I feel. Do you want me to feel this way? Is this your intention? Yes or no? And I have been told, no, that's not how I want to make you feel. Well, then we need to talk about it, and we need to understand what each of us really is trying to say to each other. But the hard edge that comes that says, I want my way. Whoa. You either create great distance between yourself and that person, whether it be a boss, a co-worker, a husband, a wife, a child, where you say, it has to be my way. then something has to give. And usually it's the relationship that gives. 
So what I've described for you is real, and it is sin. And the question arises, how do I deal with my rage? How do I deal with my hurt? How do I deal with my husband or my wife that that just won't do what I want them to do? How do I deal with my boss who constantly is degrading me and putting me down? How do I deal with my children who are disrespectful? How do I deal with this? Pastor James had to deal with that in his church. We've spoken several times about Pastor James, but I feel we need to come back again today, and we don't get it by just talking about it once or twice. It, If you're like me, takes several times to begin to understand my part and my role and my responsibility until I can begin to understand what the hard edge is that is so destructive in relationships and so utterly destructive in my relationship with Jesus Christ. For these raging wars are not limited to other people. They also extend into the spirit realm where people become very antagonistic and angry with God. But it's hard to fight with God when his arms are so long and mine are so short. And so usually... When we're angry with God, we just stop going to church, stop paying our tithe, begin to withdraw, we disappear. We finally just leave the presence of God and say, oh, I have my own little deal going. But in fact, your own little deal is with your own heart that is so filled with anger and rebellion and hard-edged that you really have no relationship with God. You simply have the memory of the religion How do we deal with all this? I'm going to give the phone number, and you're welcome to call as I begin to share the answer that Jesus has given me. The phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. What I'm going to share with you today will work in your marriage, in your work situation, in your relationships, but most particularly, it works in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Pastor James, in the third chapter, has been talking about how the tongue must be bridled, that the tongue sets a fire. And as you know, in these fights in these times of bitterness, the tongue does all kind of damage. And so Pastor James asks the question, from where come wars and fights among you? Is it not from this, 
out from your passions as soldiers making war in your members? So Pastor James is saying, look, where do these fights originate? Don't they come out of what you want and you are determined to have and someone stands in the way of your having what you want? And so you go to war. And your passions are your soldiers. They marshal themselves in your heart and in your mind. I know the woman who came screaming at her husband in the middle of the night, demanding that he get up and finish the fight. I know that that woman was speaking out of the passion of demanding her own way. That the husband be willing to change who he was in the heart, in his essence, and submit to her. And he said no. And so the rage was there. The rage and the fight come out of the passions of our heart that we have arrayed like soldiers against someone else or even against ourselves. These passions are lust where there is a deep hunger in the heart to say, I cannot survive if I don't have this. I cannot survive if I don't have this car that I desire because it is a symbol of my manhood. Or I cannot survive if my husband does not become like this because I must have this in my life. It says you murder. Remember, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. If you're angry with your husband, you've already murdered your husband. You are a murderer. It says you murder and you boil with anger. And you are not able to obtain. And so you are quarrelsome. And you make war. So where does the quarrelsome angry war boil out of. It boils out of the heart that has arranged its passions as soldiers to say, I must have my way. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to cut you off. If I don't get my way, you are finished with me. I will not speak with you again. Now, the other person can be completely loving and kind and caring. But that angry person, out of their own experience, out of their own pain, out of their own agony, will cut that person off in a moment. And there is no reasoning with them. There is no civil conversation to be had. Why? Because they are inflamed with the passion of someone somewhere telling them they cannot have what they want 
And so in the flame of that passion and that anger, they cut off other people. These passions and these angries bleed over and destroy other relationships that are very precious to them. But because they're so angry and they're so hurt, they're going to cut off everybody. As one person said to me, I am cutting off everybody. It's not just you I'm cutting off. I'm cutting off everybody. I said, are you going into your cave? Is that really where you want to live? Yes. And so this person rudely cut me off. Now, what should my response be? Well, I can marshal my passions and be bitterly angry. Or I can understand that this person's war is extremely painful. That this person does not feel safe. That this person is acting out immaturity, rage and hurt from childhood through adulthood, through relationships of the past and the present. And frankly, there is no room in this person's heart for anyone who is just going to love them. They, that confounds them. So what should my response be? Listen to them and understand how much they're hurting and let them go their way. Because we're not God. So the members form up with the passions. They are quarrelsome and they make war. And then Paul, then James, Pastor James says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly that in your pleasure you may spend freely. In other words, you go to God and you ask him to make your wife do this or make your husband do this or make your boss do this or make somebody do something and nothing happens. Why? Because you're in the midst of your fighting rage, your battle, and God knows you want this to take place so you can spend it on your pleasure. It's about you having your way. And I have to tell you today, God has disciplined me more sternly over this issue than any other single issue in my life. He has disciplined me over my wanting to have my way. To have my success. To have my position where I am respected. To have the financial advantage that I desired. 
to have the things that I thought would make me happy, to have the cars that I thought I needed, to have, to have, to have. And when I could not have, I sought to find a way around the block or under the block or over the block. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I will have my way. I will have what I want. And God has said, no, no, no. So the writer of the book of James says to these people who are his members of his church, you are adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity or hatred with reference to God? He's saying, look, you are going after things that your passions are demanding. Fairness. Oh, everything has to be fair. If it's not fair, I'm mad. Part of what I had to understand under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that this world is not fair, never has been, never will be. I had to give that childish concept up that everything had to be fair. I had to deal with the reality that the lust of my heart for what I want is adultery. Adultery against Jesus Christ. So when I make myself a friend of the world in order to achieve the goals that I hold most dear, when I make myself a friend of the world to achieve the deepest longings of my heart, Pastor James says, you are an adulterer. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, The spirit who dwells in us desires us with jealousy. In other words, in the midst of the fight being on, in the midst of the rage, in the midst of the cutting off, in the midst of the prideful demand that I have my way, I'll never forget. I was the director of of an organization, a church ministry in Georgetown many years ago. It was a coffee house medical clinic, free medical clinic for street people. And I was the brand new director. 
And as I was going into the gate the first time, there was an apartment upstairs on M Street. For those of you who know Georgetown, it was down toward the bridge across from Eagle Wine and Liquor or the little hamburger place with the green roof. It's gone today. We had two brownstones. One was the clinic and one was the coffee house. And I noticed that on the door going up to the apartment above our places of ministry, there were graphic images of babies having been aborted. I stood at that door with tears. And then I discovered that the gate, the medical staff and the medical director of the gate that I had just taken over, was involved in doing abortions. It was an abortion provider. I'll never forget the immediate conversation I had with the staff as I addressed my comments to the director of nurses. And I said, we are providing a very valuable service to our community. There are many hippies on the streets in the early 70s. I said to her, I love the mission of this free clinic. There were over 100 volunteers working out of that free clinic for the community's good. Many of those who came were students from Georgetown University. I said to her, I cannot continue the practice of performing abortions in this free clinic. And she went into a rage. As she raged at me, all I could say to her was, it's very clear that abortion is murder. As that conversation was carried on by a number of staff people with with the director of nursing and with me being present, it was very clear that I was outnumbered by the present staff on salary. Now, how was I going to resolve this? There are some moral issues that cannot be compromised with, and abortion is one of those. We have an election coming soon. If you vote for a certain party, you are voting for the murder of babies. You are voting for a person for president of the United States who believes in late-term abortion and eugenics. 
no Christian can take that position. No person who calls them a follower, calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, could possibly vote for a person and share in the responsibility of the murder and the trafficking in body parts of the unborn. And even as I say that, I recognize there are some hospitals in Washington, D.C., who call themselves Christian, who have their denominational name above their organization, their hospital, who practice late-term abortions and practice trafficking in body parts. I won't identify the hospital because that's not really the issue of the day. What I'm trying to say to you is that there are some times when we cannot resolve the differences over moral issues. That does not mean that we must marshal our passions and try to destroy the other person. Now, those many years ago, the director of nurses appropriately that day submitted her resignation as director of nursing for the gate. I was deeply saddened because she was a wonderful professional. But in her place, the Lord brought a wonderful, wonderful, loving, kind nurse who was in full agreement with me that abortions were sin and murder. This was a most difficult, difficult and painful situation to deal with. But there were moral issues involved that were not fired up by the passions of a man's heart or the members marshalling themselves. There are simply times when we must recognize right and wrong without fighting in a way that degrades the person who disagrees with us. but simply a clear understanding that I cannot participate further in this activity. I don't condemn you, but I cannot be a part of this. I cannot be a part of abortion. I cannot be a part of any political party that would finance ISIS and support the killing of countless numbers of Christians, Azidis, and Muslims raping little girls. It is of great concern to me that the United States government has supplied aid and support to ISIL, as they call it, in their desire to overthrow Syria. This is wickedness of such a magnitude that I could never be involved in any manner to support that political party that would countenance and defend and support 
the murder of innocents and particularly the murder of innocent Christian people. I hope you take this word with wisdom. I don't need to fight with you about it. But I am deeply distressed by the wickedness and the criminal conduct of our Secretary of State, our President, and the whole party of of the Democrats. I am deeply, deeply concerned, and also of many Republicans. Somehow these two parties have melded into one espousing incredible wickedness with men like John McCain and others. I'm not dealing here with politics. I'm dealing here with morality, with what is right and what is wrong. But let's be clear that most fights between husbands and wives, between brothers and sisters, between families, between friends, most fights have nothing to do with moral right and wrong. They instead have to do with I want, and because you won't let me have what I want, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to cut you off. And out of the pain and anguish of our hearts, we begin to cut off one another because we have refused to do the only thing that can the only thing that can cause healing between people let me read it for you james continues God opposes the proud. So if you are involved in a fight over what you want, and you are cutting others off, and you are excluding others from your life, the core issue that is going on is not morally right and wrong issues. What's going on is pride. That's what Pastor James is saying. I'm not saying it. Pastor James is saying the core issue that must be dealt with is the issue of pride. My feelings are hurt. I'm not getting what I want. You're not behaving in a way that I think is appropriate. This God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, the divine influence of God will move on a man or a woman who is willing to humble his heart, but the power of God cannot and will not move in a proud person except to try to convict them of their pride. Now here comes the answer that Pastor James gives For every fight that is on between a husband and a wife, every fight that is on at work, every fight that is on in my heart, instead of withdrawing, instead of name-calling, 
instead of cutting off, instead of cursing and swearing, Pastor James says, submit yourself then to God. Submit yourself then to God. The answer to every fight is the submission of my heart to God. Now, between a husband and a wife, the war is on. And the husband says, if you would just submit to me, if you would just respect me, Well, that person cannot submit to you and they cannot respect you because of your behavior. But they are now called to submit to God. And you likewise are called to submit to God. The ending of the war the answer that brings peace is submission to God. Wash your hands, you sinner. In other words, when I submit to God and I begin to resist the devil who has come and inflamed my passions, and I begin to say, Lord God of heaven, I submit to you. I am not going to continue this war which the devil wants me to continue. I'm not going to cut everybody out of my life. I'm not going to cut off those who love me. Instead, I am fleeing from that wickedness. And I am choosing to come near to God. And the promise is, if I will begin to pursue God, God will come close to me. And I can then begin to wash in the blood of Jesus. I can begin to wash away the cursing and the swearing. I can begin to wash away the inflamed language. I can begin to wash away the bitterness of my heart. I can begin to wash away the demand that I have my way or I'm going to kill. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, come to God. Feel the pain. He doesn't say deny the pain of your situation. Feel the pain of your hurt. Feel the loss of your passions that have been marshaled to get what you want. Feel the loss of your dream. Feel the loss of the one you love. Feel the loss of your self-respect and your demands. Feel the loss. It'll make you weep. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Wow, this is hard, isn't it? It's not easy to humble my heart before God. I lost the love of my life six years ago to cancer. I miss her. But I'm now seeing in technicolor and I'm, I'm feeling ready to have a new partner in my life. But I don't have one. What should I do? I could go on dating websites. I could have friends set me up with blind dates. I could go searching and talking with women as I see them here or there about town. No. The word says, submit myself to God. Let's be very practical. That means submit your desire for a wife, a partner, a love. Submit that desire to God. And trust him to bring you or not to bring you that partner to walk the rest of the way of this life. It's that simple. It's that hard. Now, I could become angry with God. Why have you not brought me the wife that I've asked you for? Really? How could I do that? I'm not in charge of my life. My life has been surrendered to Jesus. He is everything to me. And so I'm not going to go out on my own to find a wife. I need a car. Shall I go out and arrange for a car for myself? Are you kidding me? I have submitted everything to Jesus Christ. I could be angry because a religious organization that I once was a part of, a denomination, cheated me out of $16,000. Should I be angry with them? Should I write letters to them demanding They have said to me, if you want to get the money, sue us. Should I sue a church? Are you kidding me? How could I do that? I am submitted to God. I'm not going to demand my way. I'm going to lift up my voice to Jesus. And that's what I do. 
I pray from 10 to 11 every day about the person that God is calling to be my wife. I trust him to either do that or not to do that, and either one he chooses is okay with me. Do you see, we begin to submit everything in our hearts, all of our desires, all of our longings, we submit those things to God. Because, do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He's caused to live in us envies intensely? He wants to be involved in everything that is going to go on in my life. So when someone says something to me that is offensive to me, am I going to begin a war with them? Of course not. Instead, I am going to submit that marshalling of my passions to the Father, to Jesus. I am going to submit the marshalling of my passions to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stay in that place, humbling my heart before him, until he changes my heart and puts to rest the devil's temptation to rise up to get what I want in this life. So in every area of my life, whether it be relationships, success in ministry, success with this radio broadcast, success in friendships and relationships, my health, my living conditions, my transportation, in everything I am called to submit to Jesus Christ. Let me read this for you. I'm going to read from the ESV, Translation of the Bible, Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm going to begin reading. Let's see, in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is, he condemned sin in this raging man that marshals his passions, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, Paul in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter is saying, let's walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to submit to God. It means to no longer grab for what we want. It means to no longer fight. It means to no longer let the passions of our flesh marshal themselves like soldiers against our husband or our wife. It means to submit everything to God. It does not say submit everything to your husband or to your wife. It says submit it to God. And God will handle it. I'm getting the warning that we have only five minutes left in the broadcast. Before I pray with you, there are just a couple of things I need to share. We're coming to the end of October. We are $1,285 short of being able to cover the cost for Pilgrim's Progress for the month of October. If you would like to, you are welcome to contribute to help cover that cost, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also would like to invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. But let me ask you to please do something else. Would you subscribe to our YouTube? Now, you may not watch the YouTube, but the more subscriptions we get, the better. So would you be willing, just go to YouTube on your internet and put in Pastor Ray Greenley, and the YouTube page will pop up and subscribe to the new broadcast. Each day we do a video broadcast on YouTube plus this radio transmission and then later a podcast of this message. At this point, we are running about 11,000 people a month who come and listen to the podcast, but very few people go to the YouTube. We'd like to increase the outreach of the YouTube. So if you would subscribe to that and then if you would forward YouTubes to friends, put it on Facebook. Help us get the word out that people will come and learn about Jesus and the way of the cross and the way of submission to Jesus. So again, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Now, on Tuesday evenings, we meet upstairs in the office area, come in the All Saints Anglican Church, 
at the top level beside the mailbox and just knock on the door and someone will come and open it for you. At the All Saints Anglican Church, we begin prayer this evening at 6.30 and then at 7.30 we begin sharing together. That address is 14851 Gideon Drive. Again, it's All Saints Anglican Church. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. On Sundays, we start our service with prayer, corporate prayer at 12 noon. Please drive around to the back side and come in the lower entrance. It's called the lower lobby. It's ground level, double glass doors. Come in and you'll find the National Prayer Chapel in prayer at 12 noon. Now let's pray. Almighty God, there are some who have listened today who are in the midst of a raging, raging battle. Lord, I ask that you would give them the grace to submit, that the hurt of their heart could be healed and that they could be turned toward you, Jesus. I ask for your blessing today on each who has listened. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for being here. Share this broadcast with someone who needs it. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. His glory.